The following message was given by Tom Smith, a pastoral intern at Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. This week we continue in Matthew 16, and we've heard from Nick's messages just recently so many very important events and words that the ministry of Jesus brought to the people there. Words like his, you are the Christ, the son of the living God from Peter, and Jesus responding by saying, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, and Jesus saying, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. In today's passage, Jesus reveals more of his mission and what he'll do and its implications for us as well. So before I read the passage, please pray with me. Lord, we need your help this morning. We pray that you would enlighten our hearts as we look at your word and the words that you spoke to the disciples. We take them into our hearts. Give us by your spirit insight and teach us your ways, Lord. Lord, I pray you would help me as I preach this morning to do it accurately and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, please open it and turn with me to Matthew 16, and we'll start in verse 21. This is God's holy word. From that time... Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man come in his kingdom. Let me take a minute and just summarize the passage that we've just read and tell you the points that I'm going to bring to share with you this morning. So we see in verse 21 to 23, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to suffer, he's going to be executed, and then raised from the dead. And we see an interesting exchange between Jesus and Peter there too. We'll talk about that as well. And in verses 20 to 26, 
we read that Jesus lays out what the life of a true follower looks like. It's a challenge that we need to understand and everyone who claims to be a Christian needs to understand. And then in verses 27 to 28, we read that there are rewards for following Jesus and consequences for those who reject his call. So this morning, I'll have three areas of focus. One, the cost of our salvation. Two, the cost of being his follower. And three, the rewards and the judgment to come. And one quick comment on verse 28. I'm really not going to dive into that this morning. There are end time implications that need interpretation. But be not dismayed. Nick will cover this when we get to the passage on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. Now let's look at the passage in more detail. And, and what I'm going to do, and, and invite you to read with me, we're going to go verse by verse. So in verse 21, read with me what he says. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day, be raised. Here Jesus begins to tell the disciples what his real mission is, and what he will do to accomplish it. So far, what he's been doing is teaching the people, healing the people, casting out demons, calling disciples. Now he brings them something new. Just after Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In this verse, we see that Jesus is going to die and his death is the cost of our salvation. This is what it costs for him to save us. The price for our salvation is his very life. A price so valuable, it can't be reckoned. Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's coming And then the chapters to follow, we see it all play out. And what is that mission? The Father's will. What was the Father's will? For Jesus to die. It's a brutal execution, a Roman crucifixion. It's described in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Even though it's described a little differently, the point is the same in each of the Gospels. The Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, was executed. And there was a reason. Jesus was sure what was going to happen. And to emphasize that, I'm going to read out of Matthew 20 where he says it again. This is one of, I think, four times in Matthew where he predicts what's going to happen. And the point is, he knew it. Matthew 20, 17 is where I'll read from next. And you're going to hear about the same thing with a little more detail. But really what I wanted to read this for was to show you that Jesus knew what was going on. And as Jesus was going, this is verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. So for Jesus, there was no uncertainty about what his mission really was about. 
or what his future looked like. His plan was clear. He knew what God called him to do, and he knew why he came to the earth as a man, and we see that nothing will deter him. Now, back in Matthew 16 and verse 22, I'm going to read that verse too, because the next thing we see is an exchange with Peter that's quite interesting and illustrative of their understanding versus what Jesus was telling them. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Peter and presumably the other disciples don't get it. Jesus is going to die? Really? No way. Peter tries to correct and even rebuke Jesus. What Peter says does sound like a caring and sympathetic response, a way we might answer. Peter says, no, Lord, never. It reveals the thinking of the day among believers in the Messiah. And what Jesus reveals is not at all what they are expecting to hear. They expect Messiah will restore the kingdom of Israel by conquest and reign as an earthly king and reestablish the glory of David and Solomon. Instead, they're hearing something never taught by their religious leaders as far as we can tell. Even though the prophets like Isaiah and the passage that we read this morning out of Isaiah 53 point to it, and we understand it, what it's point toing today. In Matthew 16 time, they did not understand it. It was not clear. Obviously, it did not land well on Peter. And he tried to correct Jesus. But Jesus will have none of it. And he says in verse 23, this is his reply. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Jesus tells Peter he has it all wrong. He did not hear, Jesus did not hear a caring and sympathetic response. He heard Satan talking again. He did it before, Matthew 4, when he was in the desert. Fasting. Jesus was there fasting, and when he was done, Satan comes to him and tempts him. And one of the things he tempts him with is he said to him, If you just worship me, I'll give you all the kingdom. Satan offered Jesus an earthly kingdom without suffering if we would only worship Satan. Peter was not thinking of God's way, but man's way. God had revealed his will to Jesus and knew that he was here to give up his life for us. God's way of salvation came at the cost of Jesus' life. We could not conceive of such a thing, and neither did Peter. And yet Jesus gave all he was to save us by dying in our place. He shed his blood to purchase forgiveness for our sins. This is good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me appeal to any of you who might be here today who have not committed to follow Jesus. I want to speak to you directly and just ask you to hear the words of Jesus today. To save 
you and me and all of us that are here. A Christian author that you may know is C.S. Lewis, and I've read many of his books, and one of my favorite quotes from his writings about Christianity is this. Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing, the only thing it cannot be, is moderately important. Consider the insight in what he just said there. Many people think that Christianity is one of many religions. I can take it or leave it. It's no big deal. I can be a religious person. That's fine. Christianity, okay, maybe not. Lewis is saying it's important because Christianity is all about how Christ gives us eternal life. I can't think of anything more important than where we will be after we die. Can you? If you're not a Christian, I ask you to consider what Jesus is saying in this passage and to hear his call. There's more that he's going to say and we'll cover it. But it is infinitely important for your eternal destiny. Jesus gave his very life to pay for our sins, sins that we all commit, that we carry responsibility for before God. All of the punishment has been taken by Jesus. This was his mission, to die on our behalf and take the penalty and the wrath of God instead of us. His death brings us salvation and his resurrection ensures eternal life in heaven. And this is our destiny if we trust in Jesus Christ and this was the cost of our salvation. The Son of God, sinless and perfect, holy, God-made man, willingly died for us. This is what Jesus has done. And he said this again in Matthew 20, 28, that this was his purpose when he said, the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. Who would do this? Who could do this? Only a sinless and selfish, selfless Jesus. He was both worthy and willing. <clears throat> what kindness, what love, what mercy. How do I respond? <laughs> Trust in him. Then he goes on to say in the next verses what the cost of being his follower is. And I'm going to read from verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. What does this mean? It means we need to surrender our life to him. We put aside our selfish interests and make his plan our primary desire and motivation. We commit to do what he calls us to do, whatever, wherever, and whenever. We step down from the throne of our lives 
And we ask Jesus to sit there instead. We submit all of our dreams and ambitions to him. Jesus calls us to take up our cross. What does that mean? The cross was the method of execution in the first century Roman Empire. He uses this both literally and metaphorically to describe how we're to follow him. It's a historical fact that there were people who've been martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. We think of many who have been killed by their faith. Others have uh, suffered persecution and prison, even to this day. And we take up our cross by enduring whatever may come our way for Christ's sake. Thank God we live in a country where we're not subject to imprisonment for our faith. But we are called to carry a cross, perhaps in a different way. Whatever our particular life circumstance is, or will be, we're called to live as if we're already dead to worldly desire and comfort. Dead to the idea that my life is mine and I'm going to run it my way, thank you very much. We're dead to that. Jesus calls us to suffer for his name in any way that comes. He also calls us to follow me. What does that mean? It means we believe in Jesus, follow his example, and if need be, suffer and even die if necessary because of our faith in him. It means we continue to do his work to spread the good news of salvation. It means we do good works to testify to his goodness and glorify him. It means we die to ourselves and live for him. Everyone follows a core set of beliefs or philosophies in life, even if they claim not to believe anything. We know that people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is our job now, to spread the gospel, to be his witnesses. Follow me is such a short phrase, but it means everything, so there's more I feel compelled to say. The choice before us is this. Do we choose God's way or our way? To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is costly, not easy. It's a lifetime journey with no guarantee of a comfortable life. It's an all or nothing proposition to follow him. He paid an immeasurable price for our salvation and tells us what it means to follow him. Our life belongs to God already and giving it back to him is his due. Are we all in? Are we denying ourselves and taking up our cross each day? Let me make it concrete by sharing some examples. I already mentioned people who have been martyred for their faith. It's easy to think of guys like Stephen, Paul, Peter in the first century. There are modern day examples and they include people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his colleagues who were killed for their faith during Hitler's reign. A little more recently, missionaries such as Jim Elliott and his colleagues were killed in the 50s. This is scary. But it's not likely we'll be called to die for the faith. But we could be. Most of the time, denying ourselves comes in simple ways. 
Perhaps the Lord may want you to give up your Sunday evening to be part of the prison ministry where you go and you share the gospel with people who are serving time at Delaware County Prison. Or a short-term missions trip. Or a long-term mission. God may call some of you to the ministry. Some of you young people who are sitting right now, it's not even dawning on you. And the next thing you know, God starts to lay something on your heart about that. He may call some of you to marry who aren't married and raise children. He may call some of you to be single and not marry. God may call you to do something you don't actually want to do. These are the times that reveal who the Lord of our lives really is. I don't know what God will call you to do specifically. But I do know that he will put on your heart things that he wants you to do that will mean sacrifice in one degree or another. Is there anything we're holding back from Jesus? How do we spend our leisure time or our money? Do we count these things as belonging to us? The reality is we are stewards of the resources that God has given to us. Is that how you see it? Christ calls us to lay everything at his feet to follow him. This is what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to read verse 25 because we talked about how Jesus paid the cost for our salvation. And you may ask, well, why then does he call me to follow him this way? Hasn't he won it all already? Well, yes, he has. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 25 and 26. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is telling us that it would be foolish to reject him. His teaching is that if we want to preserve our earthly life, we will lose our eternal life. If someone decides not to follow Christ, then the earthly life is all they will have. And like everyone else, they'll die, as we all do. And then they'll be dying in their sins, giving up eternity in heaven. And Jesus is laying out the folly of living for here and now. Even if we attain all of our loftiest dreams of happiness, wealth, influence, career, beauty, the American dream, or whatever you define as gaining the whole world, it counts for nothing if we don't believe in Jesus and follow him. Before he was killed, Jim Elliott, a missionary, said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus encourages us that what we give up in this life is a pittance compared to what we will gain. From an eternal perspective, this is a no-brainer. He won our salvation for us. We give him our earthly life, whether it be short or long, and we, what we get in return is eternal life. Before I move on to my final point, I want to encourage you. I've talked quite a bit 
about the cost of being a disciple and the sacrifices we're called to make. I know it's not an easy thing to hear or really understand all the time. If something comes to mind that convicts you in this area, it's well worth your time to consider it and respond to God's prompting. He'll be there to lead you and guide you. Trust in Jesus. He knows how to walk you from reluctance to obedience. Now, having told us the cost of being his disciple, he teaches us there's eternal benefit to following him. And I'm going to read verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus is telling us that a day of reward and judgment is in our future. He's coming again. It hasn't happened yet. We don't know when it will happen, but we know it will come. And we look forward to that day. I want to share that it's important to remember how we're saved when we read this verse. It's vital that you keep in, tr- in, in view this truth. Our salvation is something we cannot earn and didn't earn. It comes by the sacrifice of Jesus' own life. All our sins are covered by his blood. The rewards or the judgment declared depend on whether or not we trust in Jesus and not on our own efforts. So I don't want you to lose sight of that. When he says he will repay each person according to what he has done, he's making an appeal to us to understand what's coming our way. He wants us to respond to his call And he wants the best for us. Imagine that as Jesus is saying this, his arms are extended. They're not folded. He's not scolding his people. He's speaking the truth. Using biblical logic to show us the eternal impact of our decision. He explains what's at stake He will repay those who have followed him with rewards and those who have rejected him with judgment. I'm going to read from Revelation 20 because this is very important. It says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And this includes the book of life. And then verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So to be clear, those whose name is in the book of life are those who trust in Jesus for their salvation. If anyone's name is not found there, they don't have it. Do we want eternal life? Or do we seek to pursue our dreams for the here and now? We can't serve two masters. To follow Jesus means we deny ourselves, take up his calling, and our cross. And what is the cost not to follow? Eternal life. What do we value more, this life or eternal life? 
He opened the way for us to be forgiven by grace. And he wants us to receive him as Lord and Savior. He wants us to enter into the eternal bliss of heaven that awaits his followers. When Jesus returns, there will be a reckoning. A happy reckoning for those who trust him. A judgment for those who do. Those are the rewards and judgment to come. He will repay according to how we respond to his call to follow me. Before I close, let me appeal to two groups of people that might be here today. First, to any of you here who believe in Christ and feel convicted. I want you to remember that to follow Jesus is a daily walk and we grow day by day. We become more like him and this often calls for repentance. I want to emphasize the word becoming. Philippians 3 speaks of denying ourselves and becoming like him in his death. I'm going to read the verse, Philippians 3.10. I encourage you to make this your own. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. If you have a sense of conviction that you're holding on to something in some way that God wants, to give, wants you to give up, let the Lord speak to your heart and don't be condemned. He calls us to him so that we can learn from him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's from Matthew 11. Second, to those of you who are not followers of Christ that might be here, but sense God calling you, he is. I want to tell you that I wasn't always a Christian. There was a time in my life where I not only wasn't a Christian, I was running away from God just as fast as I could. It, my, my journey from sin to salvation started when I was a boy, if you can believe this. I was 11 years old, my family was falling apart, my mom and dad were headed for divorce, and what little faith I had, I lost. And I decided, well, this isn't working. So I just started running away as fast as I could, seeking the next escape, the next high, without any thought to the consequences. But over the next couple of years, I became increasingly aware that I was not living the way God wanted me to, and I had no idea how to change that. I couldn't change it. I just found out God is not pleased with me. I always hoped he would be, But, you know, it's easy to think that if I just try hard enough, God will accept me. I'll get credit for trying my best. And it sounds reasonable, doesn't it? But the truth of the matter is, there's this thing called sin. (laughs) The sins that we commit are what separate us from God. And that causes a serious problem. He can't just give us a pass with sin unrepented. And Jesus is the solution to this sin problem. And I want to read a verse that talks about what he said 
about being born again from John 3.16. Born again being the phrase for having new life in Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can be saved. He was crucified on our behalf, took our sin, and then he rose from the dead. Think about that for a minute. He rose from the dead. He's alive right now. He's alive today. The words that he spoke, calling us to follow him, he's speaking today. He's calling you to respond to him today. If you're not following him already, and he's doing it with love. He's not pounding the Bible. He's reaching out. That's what Jesus is doing. Please come forward after the service if you feel God calling you. I'll be here. Or talk to someone you know. It's infinitely important to you. In closing, I'm going to summarize and then I'll pray. In our passage today, Jesus revealed his true mission and what it cost him, his very life, for our sake. He challenged the disciples' thinking on what Messiah will do to bring salvation. He then revealed the true cost of following him as a disciple and told us the cost and showed us with biblical logic the eternal value of giving our lives to follow him. Finally, Jesus promised that there will be a day of rewards and judgment and it was to help us all to make the right response when he says, follow me. He calls us to respond and says, follow me. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I pray your word and your spirit will help us to count the cost of following you each and every day. I thank you for the growth that you give us when we do that. Thank you that we become more like you each day. We desire to bring glory to your name and thank you for atoning for our sins by giving us your son. Jesus, we thank you for giving your life on our behalf and giving us right standing before God because you shed your blood for us. We delight to follow you and we look forward to that day when we'll see your face. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Tom Smith given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.